Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Let's dive into it. Transhumanism. Cyborgs versus Homo Superior. So, something that is really worth looking at and examining is the observation of human evolution. And it's not just the natural process, either. We're, we're far past that now as a race of beings. But just watching how we actively influence, affect, and direct human evolution over the course of history, that's what we're looking at. It can really easily be inferred that the most influence we have had intentionally on our evolution has taken place over the last century with developments of a plethora of technology and the ability to harness cleaner, richer foodstuffs and more pure compounds of vitamins, uh, medicines. It, it's, it's been quite a, a smooth ride over the past uh, hundred years. So both avenues of advancements, mechanical and organic, uh, have led to longer lifespans, uh, as well as greater qualities of life for the billions of humans littered about this past century. Now, there is a question that can easily be posed here of if we had to choose which avenue, mechanical or, or organic, uh, is the best to pursue in earnest if one needed to be chosen over the other. We obviously don't have to. We have been doing both, although one kind of has the upper hand over the other at the moment and has arguably had for the last 40, 50 years. Now, the imagined penultimate for technological and organic augmentation can be easily imagined, right? sophisticated cyborgs on the one hand and enhanced metahuman homo superior on the other. Either result would be along the ideals of transhumanism or what we evolve into beyond what we are now. The textbook definition of transhumanism is boiled down to holding the position that human beings should use technology to modify and enhance their cognitive and bodily functions, ultimately prolonging old age and improving overall quality of life. Now, some people even aim towards a path that theoretically leads to a form of immortality, something humans have dared dream of since the dawn of civilization. It's in the literature. It's, it's in religion. It's in fanciful stories, comic books, uh, old mythos. Like, immortal, Im immortality and the yearning for it is everywhere, right? It has become a philosophical ideology that seeks to alleviate human suffering. Transhumanism. And it does this by cultivating the fruits of innate human innovation and ingenuity. However, for 
the sake of this conversation, this podcast episode, uh, I am taking the idea of transhumanism to include the bioengineering theoretics as well as the mechanical. Of course, looking through the lens of science fiction, most of these thoughts and hypotheticals are very loosely based in science and rooted far more in fiction. So, cyborgs. <laughs> what comes to mind when we think of cyborgs? Maybe the DC Comics cyborg character, uh, the Borg from Star Trek, uh, Darth Vader and General Grievous from Star Wars, Alita from Alita Battle Angel. It's a very underrated movie in my opinion. Um, we see people blended with advanced cybernetics in order to either save their lives, uh, become part of a collective, or give them this competitive edge over their adversaries. But do we have anything like these examples in real life? Now, being a believer that science fiction only remains fiction for so long uh, before reality catches up, I absolutely believe that we will see the same kind of mechanoids living among us as an ingrained, if not essential, part of society. Now, this is going to be before we actually have cyborgs. Um, if, on a whole, you look at people uh, and how, how much of their organic matter, their organs and such can those functions how how much of that can be replaced by um, synthetics or mechanical parts um, non-organic matter it's it's like 10 percent of us at the max that's a lot right i mean humanity is already well on track towards becoming a cyborg. I mean, what, what we can become now is not even near uh, being an android uh, like like Data or Andromon from Digimon. Like, we <laughs> we, we can't quite become that yet, but uh, we're, we're getting there. We're getting really close. I think being a cyborg, uh, I don't know if there's a definitive amount of mechanical parts that you have to have before being able to be classified as a cyborg. I, I, I think different uh, sci-fi properties and franchises might argue different things. Um, Darth Vader was more machine than man. Twisted and evil, right? Uh, I mean, General Grievous was mostly machine. It's very, very little uh, Kalish left from what he was previously. So, for the sake of argument, I'd say maybe 70% inorganic and 30% actual organic matter. That probably classifies you as a cyborg. Yeah. But we... We are, think of the stuff that we already have. We have pacemakers. We have insulin pumps and regulators. Um, we have artificial limbs, bolts and screws that can support or supplant ball joints and ligaments. 
Hell, even little things like contact lenses and hearing aids are a step towards human beings becoming far more than what we once were, or even what we are today. There are also far more sophisticated and delicate advancements being made, such as Elon Musk's Neuralink. Now, whenever Musk introduced this technology, uh, which he bought from somebody, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's this complex microchip computer that is housed in a small compartment attached to the human brain in its neural network, right? Now, that's going to link to our nervous system via the brain, and he purported it to be a way to restore some amount of autonomy to those who are physically or mentally impaired, and they their lives can't really be assisted in any great measure by current medical technologies or assisted living apparatus. Now, that person would be able to uh, control compatible uh, computers or phones by transmission of signals sent via thought patterns. Basically, people who, say, suffer from cerebral palsy or, or muscular dystrophy, they'd be able to use their thoughts to operate their computer or cell phone. This is pretty earth-shattering in regards to human advancement and the door of possibilities it opens to us for future innovations. Perhaps we could have a software patch to the uh, brain-computer interface that allows us to learn things as well. Well, we wouldn't even constitute it as learning, would we? We would just download a foreign language, right? Or, say, a, a chunk of history, right? The Industrial Revolution, the Islamic Golden Age. We could just have a patch and there. We, we have that knowledge now. Um, maybe we could implant a, a Google search function and we, we could think, huh, I want, maybe we actually have to have the thought, what is XYZ? And then the Google apparatus downloads the answer into our brain. Which is kind of a scary thought, but uh, also extremely helpful. Because who doesn't use Google or DuckDuckGo to find out information on a daily basis? Right? So, I mean, it's it's something that we're already doing it. And we can fact, fact check things also. So, maybe that's the next step. First step is actually getting the software patch update. Next step is adding more so we're able to delineate information to figure out what is actually true. And then we can just download information. That would be that would be incredibly helpful. Uh, now the next step along this line could be the repair of nerves themselves, the actual damaged nerves or a degrading nervous system. Um, maybe we could have this supplemental synthetic nerve fiber that could be attached to human's nervous system um, where 
say it's it's defective or it doesn't work correctly it doesn't allow the uh, nominal bodily function in an affected area right so we could have these fibers connected via like a bluetooth technology or maybe even a direct physical insertion to the Neuralink itself to allow for easier repair or maintenance or just basic connectivity. And continuing with this advancement, maybe we could even use that same concept to uh, address, say, muscular dystrophy in a greater uh, a greater way. We, we could have synthetic muscle fiber and uh, we we could adapt that to the human skeletal structure and the the joints and ligaments and use those synthetic uh, nerve fibers to attach to those and it would it would give people with muscular dystrophy ideally uh, the ability to move right to to use muscles to to have greater uh, range of movement and and a confident and applicable range of movement right they they could do normal everyday things that everybody else could do with a, a certain degree of confidence and it would that would be amazing now the the humans in question would be able to move freely with an adequate amount of strength um, and not much of this synthetic fiber would be necessary i mean you don't need a ton of muscle to raise your arm and pick up a cup or open a door or turn a key right you just need enough to be able to function right to to move a book to sit in a chair to get up from a chair um, i mean natural muscle soften and deteriorates right it's it's being used by the body as fuel as time goes on and if it's not constantly kept up and maintained right you lose muscle but synthetic muscle these synth mu muscle fibers they wouldn't deteriorate and they that would free the human from needing to constantly maintain their musculature so it's it's got a lot i mean just conceptually it's got a lot of greater benefits than even normal muscle fibers right i mean they'll never be able to do a strongman competition uh at least not right off the bat but you know they, they'd be able to lead a much more normal life and since alleviating human suffering is one of the purported goals of the actual real-life transhumanists, I think these things are actual possibilities in the not-too-distant future. And this, this is how, uh, more often than not, the greatest additions to humanity are brought about, right? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention, as... Plato told us a millennia ago, and it holds true today as we face an endless tide of changes, both 
new and old challenges, right? Uh, a near constant battle humanity faces, for one example, is one against disease and pestilence. I mean, ideally, the natural evolution of mankind will bolster our resiliency against such ailments, uh, if not resulting in us becoming entirely immune to certain things like, say, the common cold, the flu, diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's, you name it. Um, we could conceptually achieve this by becoming a cyborg. I, I mean, we might have to carve away more of ourselves than we might like and replace those pieces with more machine and advanced systems until we become more metal than man, but it's possible. You could do it. Now, on the other side of this trench, we have our homo superiors. The, the next theorized and also comic book stage in human evolution. And just as we homo sapiens evolved and uh, overtook homo neanderthalensis, I can never say this word, it's so long, homo neanderthalensis, close enough, and homo erectus, <laughs> Homo superior will eventually overcome us as well. And it's inevitable that our genetics will adapt and evolve. It's just like Thanos. It is, inev it is inevitable. Uh, we see it bit by bit in each generation, no matter how small. Um, if, if we venture back 200 years, let's say... Being six foot two inches and weighing a solid 280 pounds of mostly muscle, you'd be considered a giant. So I, I would be considered a massive individual <laughs> for 200 years ago. Uh, if we study architecture from, say, the 17th century, right? Everything was made for much smaller people. Why? I mean, they were still humans, right? We're humans. They're humans. Why Why is this? Why is the architecture so different and weird? Well, generally, it can be surmised that the people were a lot smaller, leaner. Um, they naturally did not have as good a quality of medicines and foodstuffs that we have today. So let's take, let's take that same metric, you know, the, the quality of foods, medicines, uh, societal friendly architecture and let's jump 400 years from the year 2024 the actual advancements are so difficult to imagine like what will actually be in 2424 <laughs> um, it's it's tough it's tough to think what might actually happen in 400 years but the fanciful ideas that's not so difficult to imagine. Um, and it, again, I like to think that science fiction only remains fictitious until reality catches up. Um, I, I like to use Star Trek as my best example of this. Uh, Star Trek had thought up iPads, 
Skype and Zoom calls, cell phones, uh, wristwatches you could talk to people with uh, while also having the watch perform a variety of other functions. So with all that in mind, let's walk through the, those next 400 years a little bit uh, and, and see human evolution and imagine what it might be up to. So we as a race are today um, more pampered and lazy than at any point in history, <laughs> period. So that's going to seriously uh, have an adverse effect on us as a collective. And we're really not going to be happy with the result. I mean, living such an easy and sedentary life makes you soft and apathetic. It It's going to make it difficult to become more motivated uh, to take better care of your health by any measurable means. And that's what ultimately affects how human beings evolve on a whole is the state of their health because that influences um, the genetics that get passed on to future generations. And we see this in ourselves, right? When, when we don't want to go to the gym, um, we grab some fast food instead of cooking cleaner foods at home. Uh, we want to watch TV or streaming services and put off reading books or writing journals. Instead of enriching our bodies and our minds with the best quality nutrients that we have ever had in history, also, uh, humanity more often than not chooses a life of sloth and gluttony. And what are the results that we're seeing from these kinds of lifestyles? Well, rampant obesity crises, heavy allergy issues... Uh, early onset arthritis and diabetes, all mostly resulting from a century containing decade after decade of life becoming easier at a scale all across the world. Nowadays, it's so easy that there are people who never have to leave their homes at all. They work from home. They get everything from furniture to groceries delivered to them. Uh, you can buy insurance, buy a car from home on the internet. You can FaceTime your family members, go on dating apps to meet significant others and have them come to you. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, you can have business meetings via Zoom. You can run a website all from the comfort of your bed, basically. Uh, how would all these things not result in sedentary lifestyles, leading to humanity becoming just this pit of disease and atrophy? Ponder this analogy. Human beings are roughly 60% water. The most deadly thing someone can consume in the wild is stagnant water. Because it contains so many pollutants and, and it builds up bacterials, an unmolested pond is basically a petri dish for disease that will kill us if we drink it. 
That's why we have so many stories of people dying from things like dysentery in the Old West in America, because they drank from contaminated water supplies. So if we let ourselves become stagnant bodies of water, what will happen to us? Conceivably, the same thing. We will become dangerous to ourselves. We will develop our own biological destruction. And this is where the imperative of Homo Superior comes in. What some in the past may have called the Superman or the Ubermensch, uh, in today's terms, this would be someone who reads every day, works out, drinks lots of clean water, eats plenty of healthy foods, gets adequate sleep, um, takes in the sunlight, fresh air for a few hours, uh, all, all of which they do every day their whole life. I mean, now we think on that and say, well, that's all really difficult to do every day. Because, I mean, what... What does absolutely everybody have going on? They have jobs, family, friends. They have obligations they have to meet. They have demanding lifestyles. But we let all of these things get in our way of becoming a superior self, right? A superior human because of what we prioritize. And nowadays, if we do pursue being the absolute best physical and mental self, right? <laughs> Butchering this. But if we pursue being the best that we can be, um, both physically and mentally, then we do it as a balancing act. Between all of that and everything else that I just mentioned, right? Family, friends, obligations, jobs. Because we want the best of all possibilities. And that's not inherently a bad thing in the slightest. So, is becoming a superior human, or as a human race, developing homo superior, is it as easy as all that? As easy as leading a certain lifestyle? On paper, no. Because we're talking about speciation from the human race, from the human being, to being something else, right? Same as the cyborgs. So this is something that could take a few hundred years. But let's say that there was a group of people who did do this, right? Let's say they lived a hundred years in seclusion um, and they lived this kind of lifestyle in its fullest, right? These are people that are shoveling down uh, vitamins, eating the cleanest foods, drinking the cleanest water, getting hours of exercise every day, reading um, every day, writing every day. They're getting tons of sun, tons of fresh air. Uh, they're having really great social interactions. Uh, so their mental health is is peak, right? You have a hundred years of that. Let's put those people up against people that live for a hundred years the same way that we're living right now. 
you're going to see some wild differences. That group of people would be well on track to becoming homo superior. So if we want to advance our way towards that, which is something that everybody can contribute to, then everybody's contribution can absolutely be doing some daily cardio, taking massive amounts of vitamins, not eating fast food or drinking sodas, uh, making efforts to read and write every day. All the little things that will improve the body and the mind and ultimately affect your genetics bit by bit down the generational lines. And that's a miraculous thing to think about as well. Because I take care of my body and my mind right now and have been doing for however long I've been alive, my great-great-grandchildren have a better chance of having superior health than what they would have had otherwise because I took care of myself. Uh, because it would have improved genetics passed down through generations even by a minute fraction. Right? Even if it moves the needle just a little bit, I will have improved my descendants' health, their, their lives, by altering generational genetics even a little bit, moving them towards having another notch towards becoming homo superior. And this is how we end up with really ideal specimens for homo superior, right? We end up with Shaquille O'Neal's, Mike Tyson's, Usain Bolt's, Thor Bjornsson's. We focus on becoming the most physically and mentally powerful people that we can possibly be. And all of those people absolutely had to develop some mental toughness and resiliency. Otherwise, they would never have been able to have kept that drive in our modern age of comfort. And Shaq is a favorite of mine uh, because of his greater intelligence. Uh, and it's, it's on display all day, every day now. Uh, <laughs> especially since his retirement from the NBA. I mean, he buys and sells companies. He, he's constantly intellectually sparring with contemporaries about uh, the sport of basketball. He, he's talking about his strategies and raising his children and the guidelines and goals he has set for them. I mean, to me, he's much more intellectually impressive than he is physically. So you can imagine very easily that his children have the greatest potential to become even greater than he is. And their children greater still if the mental and physical upkeep improves or stays the course, right? And a lot of people might say that, well, doing these things is nothing special and we're just trying to, you know, live as close to what nature intended and it's not that hard. And, uh, you know, in our modern world with endless distractions and divergent paths of interest and occupation, 
it has, in fact, become extremely difficult. An easy way to put this into a, a, a different perspective is to imagine how many people with New Year's resolutions actually keep up with them after the month of January. How many resolutions have you actually kept up with? And that's the point. We get so easily waylaid that the lifelong journey of doing our part to help the human race become homo superior is stunted and degraded into us becoming something lesser. Now, this kind of begs a question for me. It, it bears a couple. Um, when along either of these advancement scenarios... Do we stop being human and become something entirely new? What's the line, right? When does that line form between man and machine or homo sapien and homo superior, like in the X-Men comics? This is where pure speculation comes into play. I mean, do we stop being human when we're only a X percent organic more than that? Uh, how much more? Like I said, 70%, 80%? Are, do we stop being human when we're just a head and a heart and everything else is mechanical? I mean, what, what traits do we need to develop naturally and in mass by population to cease being homo, uh, homo sapien? Do we have hardened skin like coarse leather um, do we all grow to be seven feet tall an even more burning question might follow the answers to all of these should we be pursuing these modes of evolution at all I mean the human being in itself is a marvelously designed creature and it's been forged over millennia in the crucibles of all that the world has to throw at us, and then some. Uh, or, conversely, do we have some sort of moral imperative to work towards that next great leap in our evolution? Are we meant to combat the stagnation of our genetic development? Now, whatever the case may be, it is doubtful that there exists any one correct answer. I mean, perhaps we'll have to have an amalgamation of sorts, combining both parts into one technologically enhanced superhuman. Or maybe we'll have mastered space travel and be able to colonize other worlds by then. Uh, maybe we'll have multiple planets to accommodate all transhuman species. By in, you know, by then we'll have <laughs> indeed speciated into a separate category, ceasing to be entirely human. I mean, I hope we are able to venture very far out into space before then, because the more differences we have with one another, the more innate conflict there seems to be, unfortunately. 
Personally, I would much rather be Homo Superior than a cyborg. Um, Because, I I mean, it's just cooler to me. I mean, cyborgs are pretty cool, but then you got the rust issue. Unless everything is made out of titanium, I don't want to rust. (laughs) I I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to get late onset diabetes or cancer either, but I mean, who who knows? Right? It either way, it's going to take a lot of upkeep. Um, I think that might be one penultimate goal: is we want to evolve to a mode where we need the least amount of upkeep possible. <laughs> We're striving towards being lazy. But the only way we can do that is by not being lazy. It's a bit paradoxical, but you know, it 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 is what it is. We we live in a world of contradiction. But yeah, that's that's it. That's <laughs> that's the transhumanism uh, conversation: cyborg versus Homo superior. Uh, I'm leaning much more towards the Homo Superior. Cyborgs are kind of scary uh, because you can conceivably mess with somebody being a cyborg a lot easier, right? You can upload a virus to their brain, literally, a, a computer virus, <laughs> not just um, not not just like a flu or whatever, right? It'd be an actual computer virus. It, the potential for harm kind of skyrockets with cyborgs rather than homo superior. Uh, I mean, on the homo superior side, the the superhuman side, you have a lot of uh, dark possibility there as well. Uh, I mean, that kind of flirts with eugenics a little uh, with what, say, the Nazis did where they're trying to create the superior race. It, it's, it sounds really familiar to that, and you don't want to have that either. <laughs> you, you, we, we need to steer away, away from uh, resurrecting Nazi I- ideology in every way possible. So it's, it's going to be a really thin tightrope walk across uh, to either advancement and there's going to be a lot of a lot of pains in either way Um, I mean the birth of anything new is going to be marked with pain and blood that's that's just life That's, that's how birth works in it's with innovation as well as childbirth. I, I mean, it's it's just how nature works. Nothing is perfect whenever it first comes about. It goes through trial and error. It goes through a whole bunch of beta and a whole bunch of iterations um, before something is actually perfected. And that's kind of paradoxical too because nothing is actually perfect so yeah we're 
gonna end up somewhere and I'm I'm really hoping it's more along the lines of Homo Superior but it kind of looks like we're going to need to be mechanoids we're going to need to be leaning really hard into the cyborg part of things because people are just lazy <laughs> people people don't want to work to better themselves they'd much rather kick back and watch netflix or you know watch movies that they've seen a thousand times before um yeah it's it's we're we're dealing with a world of stagnation on a on a scale that we have never seen in the history of humanity and it's it's gonna cause some real problems but yeah for now that's all i got <laughs> stick around for more guys i'll i'll be coming out with uh, quite a bit more uh, here in the near future but for now live long and prosper my friends and may the force be with us all <laughs>